Hallelujah. Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So, the uh, verse, well, I worked in Vacation Bible Adventure this year, and I had a little a group of middlers, I had six students, and middlers, and we learned some verses together. And, of course, one of the verses we learned was when they asked the Lord Jesus Christ, what is the greatest commandment, the greatest of the commandments? And he quoted, as we have in the various Gospels, what was written, which uh, we read to us this morning, uh, Chris, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he quoted this. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he says this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's a pretty tall commandment, right? That's pretty significant. With all your heart, all your strength, all your soul. Did anybody ever live up to that? Did anybody ever do that? Does the Bible ever mention anybody who actually, besides the Lord Jesus Christ, did that? We're going to look at somebody this morning that actually did do that, according to Scripture. And but let's have a word of prayer, Father. As we open Your Word, uh, we just pause for a minute to commit this time to You. We we are worshiping this morning, and by opening Your Word, we continue to worship. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that uh, beginning with me and uh, everybody here today, that our hearts would be open to Your Word, and that we would hear Your words, and we would be sensitive to them. For Your uh, Your words are the Word of Life the rivers of life. And we thank you for the privilege and freedom we have to come today to open them, consider them, and apply them to our lives. In our precious Savior, Jesus Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen. Second Kings, chapter 23. We've been talking about stories of faith this summer. And today, we're going to talk about faithful leadership. Second Kings, chapter the, um, chapter 23. We're going to jump ahead a little bit in the story we're going to be in this morning. I want you to look at verse 25, where it says this, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. There you have it. There's at least one person. Now, of course, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless. But for a few weeks, I want to track his life and apply it to our lives. Because here we have a king of Israel. And in fact, this is, this is something I want you, you can think about this. Uh, don't answer right now, but think about this a little bit. Maybe some of you could uh, let me know next week what you think. Does this even include King David? Neither before or after him was there a king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart. Oftentimes it says that they walked according to the, and it does say this with Josiah too, he walked after his father David. But I don't know, do you think this includes David? When he said there was nobody like him. Did that even include David? 
So let's look at this man's story, this, man, this story of faithful leadership, because it begins very interesting. You turn back a page in your Bible, chapter 22. We're going to be in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles today. <clears throat> so if you have a bookmark or something, put it in there. If you're using a tablet or whatever, uh, if you can, we can go two different passages that we're going to look at this morning. Because the Kings and the Chronicles uh, tell the story, tell the same stories for the most part, just like the Gospels do. But a little bit different. Sometimes events are arranged a little differently. This is not because the Bible isn't true or there was discrepancies. Sometimes things are arranged just like we would do when we would tell a story. Sometimes things are arranged by chronology. Sometimes we arrange it more by topic within those chronologies. And so the storyline comes out a little bit different. But it's the same story and the same details. And so Second <clears throat> Kings 22, let's look at verse 1. Josiah, this king who walked after God with all of his heart, soul, and strength. Josiah was eight years old. Anybody here have an eight-year-old child or grandchild? Two. Okay. All right. Eight years old when he became king in the southern nation of Judah. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, eight years old. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, which would make him 26. So, um, you're going to have, we don't have time this morning, but you're going to need to do this on your own. <clears throat> if, if you've been doing our, our uh, read through the Bible that we're doing as a, as a church, the one we've suggested anyway, uh, we just finished the story, okay? And so if you haven't been doing that or you're doing a different reading, I'd encourage you to go back a few chapters because the storyline is Hezekiah, who is Israel's godliest king after David up to this point, um, who was, who was a man who, who really did turn his heart toward God. Uh, there's some story at the end of his life, some questions about his, uh, his character when he asked for the 15 years and how he responded to God saying that you're not going to see these things happen and so forth. But overall, Hezekiah was a very godly man. His son, Manasseh, was one of the worst, one of the worst, if not the worst, until he did repent toward the end of his life. And we're going to see some of the things he did. And then his son. And then Josiah. Josiah comes. And the next generation after that, you have the story of Hezekiah. You have the story of Manasseh. You have the story of Amon. And then you have Manasseh's grandson, Josiah, who becomes king at eight years old. Now, most likely, we don't know for sure. The detail's not given us. But... He probably had what was called regents or advisors who really ruled kind of for him until he was old enough. In, in the Old Testament, oftentimes 20 years old. Uh, you know, when David counted the soldiers and they, from 20 years old on up. So some think that until he was late teens or 20, he probably didn't fully assume the role of king. We don't know for sure, but he was the king of Israel. He was the king of Judah at eight years old. 18th year of his reign. So the kings, the story in Second Kings jumps from 8 years old to 26 years old. 
And it's in Chronicles, he fills in a little bit of the details in between. So if you, like I say, if you put something there in, in, in Kings, and then if you go to Second Chronicles, chapter 34, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You go to Second Chronicles, chapter 34, and we have the story of Josiah again, written again. And you'll notice it begins, <clears throat> Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years, same as in Kings. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside the right to left. Exactly the same. Now we get a little bit more detail. In the eighth year of his reign, which would make him how old? Sixteen, very good. When he's sixteen years old, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. At sixteen years old, Kevin gave us a report from camp this morning. Um, I have a grandson almost 16. I have grandchildren in Michigan that are this age, um, or one of them. <clears throat> so uh, it's 16 years old. It doesn't tell us how. It doesn't tell us the details. But as what we would call a teenager, he began to earnestly seek after God at 16 years old. So in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So I goes back to David. In his twelfth year, so now at the 20, his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah at 20 years old, when if they had regents who were ruling for him or with him, he is now fully king. And he has the decision power to do whatever he wants as king. And notice what he does. He begins to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. And we're going to come back now. So this that gives you a little bit in, in, in between there. Eight years old to 16 years old to 20 years old is when he becomes, I think, officially able to do whatever he wants to do. And he begins to purge the land of idolatry. So we're going to go back and spend most of our time in, in 2 Kings this morning. So we'll go back to 2 Kings chapter 22. So what does he do? So in the 18th year of his reign, so 8 and 8 and 18, right? So now he's 26 years old of his king, a reign of his king. King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azali. We're going to do quite a bit of reading here, but we have to do this this morning. The son of Meshulam to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord. So he's been, he has been having people bring in their tithes and offerings, which had not been done. And people have been doing this for some years now. He began seeking the Lord when he was 16 years old. At 20 years old, he began this process. And so at this point, the money is there. And he says, that, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people, have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. Have them have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also, have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. So he begins the process, once again in Israel's history, of repairing the temple. His heart is set on God. This is God's place. This is God's holy city, Jerusalem. The temple been, has been neglected, and he's going to re, re Rebuilt, refurbished it, reconditioned it, and they've collected money, and they have workmen and skilled workmen, and they have architects, and they have builders, and they have money, and they are going to begin the first process. They're going to, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to rebuild the temple. He's going to repair 
the temple. And I want you, I really like this. I want you to notice verse 7. He specifically says, they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are acting faithfully. Now think about that. This shows the character of this man, this young man, how he treats those who work underneath him. He says, they don't need to account for the money. You, you, I trust them. These are faithful men. I, we put faithful men in, in this position. They're faithful. You trust them. I don't want an accounting. You don't need to tell me where the money's going. Because he trusts them. I want you, you know, you compare that, and I'll just tell you the story, but in, back in, in Kings and earlier, in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 12, we have the account of when the nation of Israel split after King Solomon, when he died, his son Rehoboam would be the next king. And they came to Rehoboam. And they said, and they said, Rehoboam, your father was oppressive. The taxes are killing us. Okay? The taxes are killing us. And have Rehoboam lighten up. Be good to these people. And he goes to his older advisors, the older guys like me, okay? <laughs> We keep talking about Jim the Lesser. No one quite knows what to call him here. There's no problem back there. Back there, he's just Pastor Jim Shamaria. I'm, I'm the oddball there, right? <laughs> okay. And he goes to the old guys. And he says, what do I do? And you know what they tell him? They tell him, lighten up. If you serve these people, serve them as king. Don't, don't lord it over them, but serve them. They will love you and they will respect you and they will, and they will serve you in return. He goes to his younger advisors and says, what shall I do? And they say, make it harder. You teach them a lesson. You make it harder. And he takes their advice. And he goes to them and he says, you think my father was bad. You wait. And, and he uses tip, um, imagery of scorpions and stuff and says, you wait and see what I'm going to do to you. And what happens? They say, fine, we're out of here. And ten tribes leave. And they make Jeroboam their king. And the nation of Israel splits, never to be rejoined in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel splits. Ten tribes go with Jeroboam and say, we're out of here. We're on our own. And Rehoboam has the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. It's all he has left because of, his, because of what he did. This attitude toward his people, this attitude toward his leaders. Look at Josiah. Look at the difference in attitude of a godly man. He says, you don't need to tell me what there's... I trust these men. I trust you. You guys do what is right. I, you're responsible. You do it. Another interesting side note to this repairing of the temple. So all these the architects and the builders and everybody get together and they come up with a plan. They start rebuilding. And it is kind of interesting. You can take a time on your own too. In Second Chronicles chapter 34, it specifically says the Levites who were the musicians, the Levites who were the musicians we're over the building crews. Good, huh? Right? We're doing some remodeling down here in the gym, right? We're putting in brand new bathrooms. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. It's going to be wonderful. They're going to be accessible. It's going to be great. But we don't have our worship team down there overseeing uh, Gilbert as he's doing the building, okay? Not that you guys couldn't do that. I'm not suggesting that. I mean, you know, you guys could do that. But this, this is what the Levites were the musicians. They were the worship this, they were the worship leaders. And because they were the worship leaders, they were the leaders of the people, and they were supervising. 
for those of you that work in construction, and we have several here that work in construction, I know a lot of times you have music going on in, in the background, right? When I worked in painting new homes with Fred Olson for many years, um, every day we had oceans of beautiful music in the background. <laughs> okay, No words, just music. Um, there's something to that. The worship leaders came, they oversaw the work, and they rebuilt the temple. And they rebuilt the temple, but he treated his people faithfully. And then, of course, this amazing thing happens. In verse 8, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found something. We're in there cleaning out the temple, and I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord, have entrusted to workers and supervisors the temple, then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. This is, this, this is either the entire Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, or some think it's Deuteronomy, because Deuteronomy is a summation of the law that could easily be read in one setting, because that's what Moses did. It summarizes the law. And in that summary, there is a point at which it says in Deuteronomy chapter 17, looking ahead to the time when Israel would have a king. They didn't have a king. But God says, you will ask for king, and I will give it to you. He is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of a Levitical priest. The king, the first thing he is to do, he is to sit down and he is to hand copy the book of Deuteronomy. Make his own copy. Because you know when you write something, huh? And it goes from your brain to your arm to your hand and you watch it happen, it does have an impact on you. Whether you're typing or writing, you do it yourself. You write your own copy. And they read this entire thing to Josiah. Look how he responded. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the high priest. Verse 13, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written therein concerning us. Woe is us. Woe is me. And I wonder if when he heard especially that, that line that said the king, is he never even saw this book. No one ever gave it to him. His father or grandfather never gave him a copy of it. Friends, what would it be like if 50 years from now, 50 years from now, one of those children over in the nursery, in our nursery over here, was rummaging around this church somewhere and, and found a Bible and blew the dust off it, and, and came to the elder board and says, hey, what, what is this? What is this? Can you imagine that? Is that even possible? Is it possible that we are always one generation away, that we could lose complete focus of, of why we are even here, why your family is, is a Christian family, why our church family? This is what happened. They had never heard this. He had never heard any of this before. He was king of Israel and no one told him. No one even told him this book was there. And he hears it for the first time and he tears his robe and he mourns and he, and he weeps, as it were, 
And he says, what are we going to do? God's anger is burned against us because Deuteronomy clearly says, if you obey me, I will bless you. But if you disobey me, I will what? I will curse you. And this is what's going to happen. It's not a pretty picture. You read it. They go to a prophetess, Huldah. She's in Jerusalem. In verse 15, she said to them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I am, I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me, they burn incense to other gods, they provoke me to anger by all their idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire the Lord. This is Hald to the prophetess. This is what the Lord God of Israel says concerning the words you have heard. Because your heart was responsive, you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and his people. And they would become accursed and laid waste because you tore your robes and wept in my presence. I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers. You will be buried in peace. We're going to come back to that. This is an interesting prophecy. We're going to come back to this. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. And they took her answer back to the king. Now, the result of this, hearing God's word, and hearing the words of this prophet. Now remember, the prophets throughout the Old Testament keep saying, this is what's going to happen if you don't change. But people do change. Manasseh repented, and God relented and accepted it. Read it. Wicked, 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 wicked Manasseh. And I'll tell you how wicked they were. You know, we don't have time this morning to read all this um, detail. But I would like to ask you, if you would just take a few minutes of your own time, it wouldn't take you long to read chapter 23 and read verses 3 through the rest of to verse 2020. And you'll just, you will, I mean, you talk about details of what he did. He went through the land and he smashed the idols. He tore down the pagan temples. It says he went to the valley of Hinnom in the New Testament, Gehenna. Hinnom, the place where the fire always burns. We were in Israel a few months ago, and we were down the south end of the city. As we went down the south, as we started coming back up north, and we were pointed out the valley of Hinnom, and it was down in that valley where the idol, where the, where the pagan altar to Molech was. And the, and the pagan altar of Molech, the children are gone right now. Um, they took their babies and burned them as an offering to Molech, the Israelites did, in the valley of Hinnom, the valley of Gehenna, where the fire is never quenched. They had altars with male prostitutes. He tore them down. He smashed them. He burned them. And there is one note I would like you to read, one little detail I think I would like you to read in uh, chapter 23 as he's doing all these things, you'll notice in verse 15, even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place, he demolished. He burned the high place, ground it to powder, and burned the Asherah pole in it. 
When we were in Israel, we went up north to Dan, to tell Dan, because what Jeroboam did when they separated from the other tribes of Israel, he said, look, it, we can't have our people going back to Jerusalem to worship. That's the other nation now. We need our own places of worship. And he built two of them, one at Bethel and one at Tel Dan. Tel Dan's way up north, Bethel is south. They had two places of worship. And he completely obliterated and destroyed Bethel. Tel Dan has been uncovered. We went there and walked up the steps of the altar. We did that. Walked up those steps and looked down in the remains of this place of sacrifice. But look what it says here. It says this. After he did all these things, he said in verse 17, What is that tombstone I see over there? And the men of the city said, It marks the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and pronounced against the altar of Bethel the very things you have done to it. Leave it alone, he said. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. And they spared his bones and those of the prophet who had come from Samaria. And this particular, this particular place, if you look at your footnote and go back to 1 Kings chapter 13, you will see back in 1 Kings 13 when they built that altar of Jeroboam, a prophet came and said, there will be a king by the name of Josiah who will come and your bones and, your, and will destroy this place. Read it, 1 Kings 13. He says, a prophet, a king by the name of Josiah. And when Josiah said, whose tomb is that? They said, that's the man who prophesied that you would come and do this. And he did it. I wonder if his mother named him Josiah in hopes that he would be that man. I don't know where Josiah got this inclination toward God. Somebody influenced his life, I'm sure. Well, Listen, friends, we're going to stop right there because of time this morning, because we're going to resume this account next week. But let's just say this. He, he found that book of the law, the Bible, that was their Bible. And he did it. We learned a verse, in my little table of kids, some of them the age of Josiah when he became king. We learned that verse in Vacation Bible Adventure this summer that says, whatever you do from Colossians 3.23, do it with all your heart, Not as to men, but as to what? To the Lord. Now I'll tell you, here's a man who, if you read how he went through and just ravaged the land of idolatry and burned it and smashed it and buried it and made this obvious point to his people, this is over. We are done with this. And we're going to move ahead and do what God has called us to do. Eight years old. Let me just close, but I want to make five points. And you all know five points. I'm just going to give them to you real quick here, okay? (laughs) Just sit still for a minute. All right. Give me two minutes. Can I make five? (laughs) What was that, Kimmy? (laughs) No, no, no. Okay. Five quick points. Number one, what can we learn from this? We're going to come back to finish the story. Be sensitive to the Lord. Be sensitive to the Lord. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how God did it, but this Eight-year-old boy, 16-year-old teenager, his heart was drawn to the God of his father. He hadn't even read his book. Didn't even know his book. But his heart was drawn to the God of David. Secondly, treat people well. If you're in leadership, if you're a parent here, you're a leader. If you're an employer, if you have one employee, you're a leader. 
If you serve in this church in any kind of ministry, you're a leader. Faithful leadership. Treat people well. Serve them like Rehoboam should have done. I mean, here's a, here's a man who, who said, I don't, I, don't need to hear, I don't need to know where the money's going. I trust these people. They're faithful. You guys, are, you guys do what God's called you to do. Treat them well, and they'll treat you well. Faithful leadership. It's not complicated. Three, read the word. Right? You know, life is complicated. I know that. Life is hard. Life is challenging. And I can't be simplistic and just say, just read this verse and all your problems will be solved. But this is the Bible. This is God's word. Do we read it? It's a good starting place, right? It's a good place to start. Do we spend time reading the word? He, he, he just heard the word. He heard someone read maybe the book of Deuteronomy. And as soon as he started hearing it, God just tore his heart apart and God changed him. Read the word. Read the word. Don't just read about the word. Don't listen about the word. Read the word. Be sensitive to the Lord. As a faithful leader, treat people well. Serve them. Matt's talking about we want to raise up pastors in our fellowship. And we want to raise up pastors who will serve their people and treat them well. It's not that complicated. Read the word. Friends, number four, remove the idols in your life, no matter how painful it is. You know and I know when we think, when we think we can get rid of all these things, but this, this is one area Remember my heart, Christ's home. Some of you read that book. This is one area that I, I think I can, I can handle this one. And you know, what, you know how it traps you. You know what it does. You know what it does. You know what it does. Got to get rid of it. I got to get rid of it. You got to get rid of it. It doesn't work. We all know that. We have to get rid of those idols, whatever they are. Whatever is pulling your worship away from, from Christ, it's, it has to go. He, 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 didn't, he didn't make the mistake that some of his predecessors made. There were some kings before him, Joash, who were very good kings, but they made one serious mistake. Like Gideon's family, they didn't tear down all the idols. It's that one. It's that one Asherah pole. It's that one Baal altar that's sitting out there in the middle of Judean hills somewhere that will bring the king down. Gotta tear them all down. And the last point is this. Listen, friends, we had a camp report this morning. Never underestimate, never underestimate what God is, not will, is doing through our young people. Don't ever underestimate it. You look at church history, most major, if not all, revivals, including the one in America in the 1700s, always start with the young people. Young people, teenagers, young adults here this morning, you have opportunities today you will never have again in your life. You will never have these opportunities again in your life. 
Don't ever underestimate what God can do through you and friends. I mean, I don't know how else. I mean, Matt has already told us this morning the history we have in this church of encouraging leadership. I remember Matt as a kid. He was a good kid. He didn't terrorize anybody. (laughs) Never underestimate, friends, what God is doing right now with your children and grandchildren. Eight years old. Sixteen years old. Twenty years old. I'm getting rid of the idols. Twenty-six years old. We are doing this all over again. Josiah, the only man, at least it comes to my mind this morning. Some of you track it down and tell me where else it would be. But it does say he served the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength. Great story. It's a great story, and there's a lot that can teach us. And we're going to finish the story in the next couple of weeks here because there's a lot more to the story of Josiah. Please stand with us. Amen. Thank you so much. Gary's asked me to announce that there is no life lunch today after church. Instead, go play softball and I'll have lunch there. No life lunch. If you know the context, you know what that means. Okay? <laughs> Good. Thank you for coming today. We're going to continue the story of Josiah. And actually, the, the Battle of Armageddon figures very significantly into this man's life. So we're going to see that as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the privilege of being here today. We do love you. We do thank you for a place to come to just be together, to worship, to spread the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ as we leave and go out these doors this week. um, The the mission field begins. And Father, I want to pray today for the parents that are here. As I look out over the congregation this morning, there are just so many parents, there are grandparents, there are those who are raising children. Uh, We are raising Josiah. We have Josiahs in our household under our care. Uh, what what more important task or ministry or privilege could there be? Somebody told him, Father, about King David. Somebody told him that story. Somebody encouraged him. And you brought that to fruition and, and you changed Israel because of him. And for a brief shining time there, uh, they returned to you. And Lord, we have Josiahs here today that we are raising. And I just pray for the parents. I pray for their Love for you, their love for each other, their care, their provision for their children. We thank you that they cared or even bring them to church today to give them a chance to sit under the hearing of the gospel with leaders who love them. We thank you for the young people who went to camp. I thank you so much for the leaders and counselors who took time to spend the week up there raising Josiah. And we look forward, Father, that Matt's asked us to pray Josiah's in our fellowship. We lift them up to you and we look forward to seeing wonderful things that are being done today in the lives of these precious young people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.